Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us a like, leave a comment. Let me know how I'm doing, because this is a show that we want to bring to you each and every week. My guest is Algernon Austin. He is the Director of Race and Economic Justice at the Center of Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., Algernon has conducted research and has been writing on issues of race and economic equality for over 20 years. He's here to discuss his latest report, Black Women's Views on Black Men's Rate of Joblessness, and how published unemployment data does not reflect the reality of unemployment in the Black community. Algernon, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Okay, let me begin uh, about asking you about the most recent unemployment rate, which fell to 3.4%. Why is that number inaccurate, particularly as it relates to Black people in America? Yeah, so that number is the overall national rate, and uh, it's a it's a good rate. It's a historically low unemployment rate nationally. The there there. There are many. There are many layers to this. There are many layers uh, of sort of dissecting these rates. So the unemployment rate to be counted as unemployed, you have to have been actively looking for work in the last four weeks when you're surveyed. Now, if you are a person, if you let let's let's say if you live in a community with a high level of joblessness, and we can take like Flint, Michigan. Uh, where the 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 jobless rate is multiple, you know, two probably more than twice the national rate. There are other places in this country where the unemployment rate was will be three times. So in those communities, there are many people who know that given given where they live, given the skills that they have, there are no jobs for them. And those people, because they know, because they've been rejected several times uh, or have uh, in their search for jobs, know that there are no jobs. And the fact, and then they stop looking for work because they know, look, I live in this place that has, you know, 10, 20% unemployment, there are no jobs. Um, those individuals are not counted as unemployed. So they don't have a job. They would like to work, but they're still not counted as unemployed. So that's the, the tricky thing about the unemployment rate is that many, if you if you belong to a demographic group that suffers from a high rate of joblessness, uh, a persistently high rate of joblessness, it's going to undercount the, the actual amount of joblessness in the community. But um, let, let me step back a little bit and talk about even using the unemployment rate again uh it it does undercount joblessness uh but even using the unemployment rate we've seen for the last 60 years for the last 60 years the black unemployment rate has been twice the white unemployment rate so you will hear people say the black unemployment rate is historically low. And I say this too, and that is correct. For black people, we are at a, at a pretty low unemployment rate for black people. But given that the black rate is always about twice the white rate, 
it's still a high rate. You know, white people, if you told white people, we're going to make your unemployment rate twice what it is today, they're not going to applaud and say that's great. They'll say that's terrible. Um, so the Black unemployment rate, even though it's at a very low level today, it is still a relatively high rate. So that's one thing. Getting back to the other point, the the unemployment rate, it doesn't give you the full, unfortunately, the full bad news, because as I was talking about, there is a lot of joblessness that is not being captured by the unemployment rate. So the unemployment rate is a, is a significant underestimate of joblessness in Black communities uh, for the reasons that I gave. And it is increasingly um, a bad estimate for the amount of Black job, black men's joblessness in the labor market because Black men uh, are uh, increasingly in situations where they are not being officially counted in the labor market. Um, so, and, and that's what my, my new report is, is a way of highlighting this high level of joblessness that Black men face. Um, before we get to the, some of the, to dive into your report, uh, let me ask you this question. So, um, since unemployment rates for black people have been high for generations, for decades, um, what are some of the, the root causes and what are some of the policies that will be necessary to, to address it in a meaningful way? Yes, that's a very good question and really important. So the root causes, uh, We've seen we've seen declining labor force participation for men who don't have a college degree, um, and this is uh, significantly due to the decline of manufacturing in the United States, uh, 2D industrialization, and the the loss of these good manufacturing jobs in many cases unionized jobs. Um, has meant declining wages and declining uh, opportunities, employment opportunities for men without a college degree in general, not just black men, but men in general, we've seen this declining uh, participation in the labor force. However, black men more so than white men are uh, likely to lack a college degree. So this, the, when you have an economic transition in the American economy that's that's hitting men who don't have a college degree, that's going to have a disproportionate negative impact on Black men. Um, so that's one factor. The other factor is in the American labor market, there is racial discrimination in the labor market. Um, we see this from decades of um, audit studies, they're called, or these research experiments where researchers send out um, paired testers. So they will send out uh, one white person, one, let's say, one white man, one black man, and they train these men to present the same information, the same qualifications. And when they do this, they consistently see that the white uh, man gets a better response from employers than the black man. They've they've done 
these testing studies that way. They've also done it with resumes. So they will use um, stereotypically white names and stereotypically black names. So a stereotypically black name might be like Jamal or Malik or something of that or of, of that uh, sort. Um, and when they send out equivalent resumes, one with a stereotypically white name and one with a stereotypically black name, they consistently find that the 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 resumes with the quote unquote white names get better responses than those with the black names. Mm -hmm. So we know that there is significant anti-black discrimination in the labor market. And that also affects black men uh, significantly. Uh, a third important factor is mass incarceration. Um, starting in the 70s, the, the United States really ramped up uh, the rate at which it incarcerated its citizens. Uh, um, so it used to be pretty average for a rich Western country, and then it just shot way past not just the rich West Western countries, but all the countries. Uh, the United States leads the world in locking up its citizens. So we enacted a range of policies that really massively expanded the number of people who are incarcerated. Uh, and that hit uh, black men particularly hard, you know, so black men have much higher incarceration rates than any other group. But people who are in prison eventually come out. So we send hundreds of thousands of black men into prison and then they come out um, and they can't get a job because uh, employers are not interested and employers are highly reluctant to hire people with a criminal record. Um, and so for a black man who uh, is a returning citizen or re returning from incarceration, uh, it's very difficult because they have two very powerful strikes against them in the labor market. They're black and they have a criminal record. And both of those things matter. Uh, we see the research the, the Paratestra study shows that white men with a criminal record are treated better than black men with a criminal record, significantly better. Um, so we have this mass incarceration uh, that's put away hundreds of thousands of black men and these black men return to their communities and they can't get a job. So these factors, the deindustrialization, the discrimination, the mass incarceration, are three really important factors that leads to this very high rate of joblessness for Black men. Hmm. Um, let's now shift to your report. Well, before we do that, I have one more question on that, because the reason to I when I read your report and I read some information in the research that you've been doing, what I took from it is that the economy, as it currently states, you know, there's inflation and the Fed is trying to combat inflation. And we all hear that the Fed is trying to cool the job market in order to reduce inflation. And so the reality is they're really not addressing black unemployment. They're, they're really addressing everybody else. And so that policy and the way the Fed is setting policy, my opinion, is is totally flawed because they're not counting for the massive groups of people who aren't employed. And um, it, that struck me because I, I follow, you know, economic policy and it's just, it's amazing to me that that's not accounted for in all of the talk and interest rates, which the interest rates do affect black people, but yet 
the metrics used to determine those interest rates does not include them uh, as as a part of the the conversation or research. So, uh, thank you. When when you, when I was researching your your yeah information. yeah the, the, those are important those are really important points. And let me um, before I before I critique the Fed, let me sure sure let me. You, you and others, little, you and a lot of let, folks. <laughs> let me give them a little bit of credit. Uh, Jerome Powell, Powell the, the current uh, chair, before the pandemic was saying that he was going to be sensitive to the fact that uh, rising interest rates disproportionately hurts uh, people of color and the, the, the people who can least afford joblessness right. and right. unemployment. Right. So he he was he he seemed sensitive to it before the pandemic. <laughs> so that's one thing. The other thing is he's he's in charge of the whole economy. So he is looking. He and the the rest of the board are looking at the national picture. They they're responsible for the entire nation. Sure. So they are limited. So I have argued, but you're right that that they although they have a dual mandate. Right. They're supposed to control prices and maximize employment at the same time. But in economic, in standard economic theory, these things are at odds with each other. Right. You know, economists right. say if you have low unemployment, you're going to have high, you're going to have inflation. Um, so, you know, so the natural reaction is like, oh, we don't want the unemployment rate to get too low because that's going to. And historically, historically, the, the Federal Reserve has been placed much more emphasis on maintaining, addressing inflation than maximizing employment, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other sort of progressive economists. So I think it's, you raise an important point. We really have to recognize that the Federal Reserve is not, although it has a dual employment, it's not really going to be as effective at maximizing employment as we need it to be. So that means we have to move from looking at the Federal Reserve and move towards looking at fiscal policy or what, what can the federal government, state government and local governments do. And this is why I am you know, involved with the campaign called Full Employment for All and people can find out about it at fullemploymentforall.org. And this campaign is about providing subsidized jobs, subsidized employment to these communities that face persistently high levels of joblessness. So places like Detroit, places like Flint, uh, there are places in Mississippi, as well as places in the Appalachia and places in the Southwest, as well as places uh, uh, on Native American reservations. So in every state, you can find these, these pockets of high rates of joblessness. And of course, disproportionately, uh, these communities are, are Black communities. Uh, so the Full Employment for All campaign is saying, let's do what we did during the Great Depression and provide subsidized employment for these communities, provide jobs for these communities 
um, so that they can they so that they too can have truly low unemployment rates or truly high employment. And it's really important for all of these, you know, uh, President Biden in his his State of the Union speech mentioned the the places and the people who are forgotten. So this policy, this full employment for all, is targeting those places and those people who are forgotten and saying, let's bring them into the labor market, let's get them jobs. So you're right, the Federal Reserve, um, for a number of reasons, is not going to uh, be effective at producing full employment for Black people. And, um, and its policies can be harmful uh, in terms of achieving full employment for Black people. So we need something else. We need something more. And again, that's why I'm doing the Full Employment for All campaign. Um, let's now dive into your report, which was just published a day or two ago. Uh, I read it. It's very informative, uh, very thought provoking. You raise a lot of pertinent and interesting questions. Um, so the title is Black Women's Views on Black Men's High Rate of Joblessness. Um, what motivated you to write the report? Uh, and what are some of the key findings that you've been able to highlight? Well, I've been in, in recent years, uh, I've been uh, increasingly concerned about about the high rate of joblessness for black men. Um, and the more uh, the more I look into it, the more shocked that I, uh, I became. So in, in my prior report, I noticed that uh, if you look at prime age black, prime age men, you know, that's 25 to 54 year old, black men are like, uh, roughly a, a little more than 10 percentage points in terms of the employment rate. Mm -hmm. So basically, these are rough numbers. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But basically, if you look at prime age white men, about 80% of them are working. If you look at prime age Latino men, about 80% of them are working. If you look at prime age Asian men, about 80% of, of them are working. If you look at prime age uh, black men, it's about 70%. It's about 10 percentage points lower. So again, I don't remember the exact figures, but it's about 10, a little more than 10 percentage points lower. And this is quite significant. Uh, this is a jobs gap. If you were to close that gap, you're, we're talking about 800,000 jobs. So basically they're, they're just among black men, in 25 to 54 years old, there should be 800,000 more Black men in that age group working if, if we had a more equitable economy. Uh, so this is a really significant problem that ha you know, has been, you know, is a concern of mine. And I don't think it gets enough attention. I don't think it gets enough support. Uh, you know, I, I'm doing this work. Uh, but um, yeah, like I said, I don't think it's getting enough policy attention. The other, one of the challenges is when I bring this up, sometimes assume, sometimes people assume, well, you're saying that and you're, you're anti-Black women. And I'm like, no, that's, that's absolutely not the case. Um, Yes, there are lots of very important issues, very important challenges that Black women face in the labor market. 
they face discrimination, they face low wages, they face segregation into bad jobs. So yes, there are a whole host of important issues that Black women face that need to be addressed. But there are also important issues that Black men face that need to be addressed. So it's not either or, it's both. You know, as, as some uh, the Black feminist Patricia Hill Collins said, it's both and, right? Mm -hmm. We need to do both. And I am in my work saying, okay, uh, I, I'm going to focus in on some of the challenges that Black men face. But the report is also highlighting that the Black community, it's not like there's a Black men live in this separate community over here and Black women live in this separate community over here. That's, that doesn't exist, right? Black men and Black women live together in the same families, in the same neighborhoods, in the same communities. And they are they are tied together. So if Black men are doing worse off, I mentioned employment rate, mm -hmm. 10 percentage points lower than other men. If Black men are doing worse off, that means that's putting both emotional and financial strain on Black women. And that, that means that Black families and Black communities uh, and Black neighborhoods are worse off than they would be if Black men had more opportunities. So that's what the, the report is trying to do, is to try to get people to recognize how the joblessness among, the high rate of joblessness among Black men is actually having uh, harmful uh, effects on Black women um, and Black girls and Black families and Black communities. So, so that's the motivation for the report. Yeah, and I encourage people to go and read it because, um, you know, it, it is informational. It makes you think and you, you're asking and uh, addressing questions that don't normally come up in, in a lot of the conversation around uh, Black unemployment and, and, you know, Black women and Black men um, in, in communities. But one unique aspect of the report that really struck out to me um, is that uh, more Black women are employed than black men and and it's the only group where that's the case can you speak a little bit about that yeah so since 2000 and it's really goes goes before 2000 but i just focus in from from 2000 to today they're typically each year they're typically about a million more black women working than black men uh, and this is this is quite significant. This does not exist for any other group. Uh, if you look at uh, in the Latino population, there's significantly more men working than, than women in the white population, more men working than women in the American Indian or Native American population, more men working than women in the Asian population, more men working than, than women. Only in the black population uh, are there more women working than men? So this is a very unique situation. And the point here is just to highlight that the, the rate of employment for Black men is quite low. It's low compared to other, other men. And as I mentioned before, if we were able to close that gap just among the primates, you know, I'm not talking about younger than 25 or over 55, but just among the primates, 
that's 800,000 jobs uh, uh, typically. So uh, the, the, the problem of joblessness for black men is uh, a unique, it's a uniquely bad situation um, in uh, when you look at the the United States by by race and sex. Hmm. Uh, let me now ask you about the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Uh, tell me about it. What's its goals? Uh, what are the uh, objectives of the institute and uh, your role in it? Yeah. So the Center for Economic and Policy Research is what we would call a progressive think tank. Progressive because it's it's more liberal or left leaning. Um, and uh, it's a think tank. So we do, as I was just describing, we do research um, on issues of economic policy. Uh, the C Center for Economic uh, and Policy Research is is uh, somewhat unique among Washington DC area think tanks because we do both domestic work and international work. I'm on the domestic team, but we have a big team that uh, does a lot of work looking at uh, Latin America and, and other places in the world and, and does policy, uh, you know, thinking about, okay, how should the policy deal with developing countries, deal with, you know, what should our policy be uh, re relating to Colombia or Venezuela or Haiti, uh, et cetera. Uh, uh, so we do quite uh, uh, a lot of important work internationally as well as important work domestically. So I um, focus on race and economic justice, mainly labor market issues, but not only that. I occasionally do things on housing. I've been doing, because I'm interested in in outcomes for black men. I've been interested in issues of gun violence because there's a, a pretty high uh, uh, homicide uh, you know, rate, uh, uh, mortality rate for black men due to, due to uh, gun violence. So I also advocate for common sense gun uh, safety policy that could try to reduce uh, the high rate of gun violence that, that takes many black men's lives and also injures uh, a, a number, you know, because if you don't die, you're often seriously injured if you're shot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. So address uh, that issue. But yeah, so I look at the U.S. labor market broadly, uh, issues of jobs and wages, et cetera. Um, um, within that, I pay uh, particular attention to black men. Also look at a little bit, occasionally look at issues related to housing, uh, look at issues related to uh, cryptocurrency and wealth, uh, and look at issues related to gun violence. Uh, so a range of economic policy issues, but, you know, focus most intensely on labor market and on issues of employment. Sure. Um, let me ask you about your most recent book. Um, America is not post-racial, xenophobia, Islamophobia, um, and the 44th president. Um, what caused you to to dive into that topic? Uh, and what are some of the key findings uh, that you you wrote write about, 
and how are they, and I imagine many many of them are still relevant today. Yeah, and maybe they, even more so today. <laughs> I, I, they, they certainly are, and that's that's what you know continued to stun me because I, so I was inspired. You know, President Obama was elected, and people started talking about, oh, America is now post-racial, and uh, you know, if you think about race racial discrimination and racial inequality as a systemic or stru or structural issue, then you automatically know that electing, putting one person in one position does not change the systems and structure of the society. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of absurd, but, but um, uh, so I, I wanted to respond to that, but also President Obama was such a uh as a as a as a politician uh although he was a democrat he was so tried so hard to work with republicans he was forever you know trying i mean we have a debt ceiling fight and never prior to obama no you know unfortunately obama set the precedent. He was the first person to compromise with Republicans who didn't want to raise the debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling has been raised dozens of times. Uh, during the, as President Biden pointed out, during the Trump administration, it came and every it was raised. There was no controversy. Absolutely zero controversy when under uh, the Trump administration, they needed to raise the debt ceiling. Now, uh, Biden is in there, and all of a sudden, it's it's a controversy. Um, but unfortunately, President Obama, because he was so willing to compromise with Republicans, did compromise around the debt ceiling. So he set up he set up, unfortunately, a bad precedent. But and that's just in one area. In many areas, he was not the wild left-wing radical president. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but, so, given given who he was and the policies, I mean, even Obamacare, Obamacare, the, the history of Obamacare, it came out of um, the Heritage the Foundation. Heritage Foundation, right. Heritage Foundation, the first person to actually implemented with Mitt Romney in Massachusetts. <laughs> Even President Nixon at one point was talking about universal health care. So this goes back yeah. decades in Republican and conservative yeah. politics. Yeah. So Obama did not advocate for Medicare for all. He was like, I'm going to take a Republican health reform policy. I'm not going to take Bernie Sanders policy. I'm going to take Mitt Romney's policy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so objectively, I would argue Republicans should have loved him because, you know, when he wants to do health health insurance reform, he looks to Republicans. He doesn't look to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> he goes. So it's like he should have been the most loved um, among all the Democratic presidents because he's so willing to work with the Republicans. Yet he was the most hated. Um, 
yeah, he, there was such hatred of him and all sorts of all sorts of negative smears and stereotypes and all all this stuff. Um, so I was trying to un unpack that. It's like, why is this guy, who is pretty moderate, who really wants to work with Republicans, subject to such intense hatred? So, uh, and I thought going into it, I thought well, he's the first black president. It's just anti-black racism. And then as I examined it, I was, I never thought the the stuff about him, you know, the, the false accusations that he wasn't born in America and was a Muslim. I thought, I never took that seriously because it just seemed so absurd to me. But as I dug into it, I was like, wow, this anti-immigrant stuff is really strong. Like independent of the anti-Black hatred, I'm getting in my analyses, getting, you know, uh, evidence of a, a real anti-immigrant hatred. And like independent of both anti-Black and anti-immigrant, I'm getting an anti-Muslim hatred. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so Obama, unfortunately, was getting hatred because he's black, because people falsely said he was an immigrant, and because people falsely said he was a Muslim. So that's why, in spite of him trying so hard to appeal to conservatives, he was so intensely hated by, um, you know, um, a, a segment of the conservative population. And as you were saying, it's more relevant. So again, the anti-immigrant uh, and the, the the xenophobia and the Islamophobia surprised me because I, I didn't think anyone took it seriously, but people, in fact, did. And then you have Trump, and Trump begins his campaign, you know, with this attack on, on Mexican immigrants. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, <laughs> you and, know, it works. There's, and it works. Yes. And then he followed that up with attacks, you know, wanting to ban Muslims. So, you know, you had the the, the anti-immigrant, the xenophobia, and then you had the Islamophobia. And then, of course, you had him describing white supremacists as very fine people. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yes, I, I was I was shocked. And then with the Trump administration, seeing all those themes re-emerge, re even more in the open and more intensely, I was I was like, wow, these are three important things, you know, anti, you know, xenophobia, anti-immigrant sentiment, anti-Muslim sentiment, and anti-Black sentiment are important themes in understanding contemporary American politics. Well, um, I'm going to have to wrap up here. and uh, But before I do, let me ask you if people want more information about you, your research, uh, the Center for Economic and Policy Research, your book, where can they go uh, to get this information? Uh, well, they if to find out more about me and my work, they should go to the website of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, and that website is cepr.net, cepr.net, um, and to support uh, the Full Employment for All campaign, they should go to fullemploymentforall.org. It's really important if you're concerned about the high rate of joblessness among Black men or among Black women, or among Black youth, 
um, or among any people. In, you know, if you're concerned about whites in Appalachia or the Native Americans or Latinos in the Southwest or people in Alaska, fullemploymentforall.org. We're trying to address wherever we find these high rates of, of joblessness. Um, and you know you can find you can find my my books on Amazon um, or at your bookstore. You know, do a search uh, on my name and you you'll find it. <laughs> well, Janon, I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope I can have you back again. Um, your your topics are so fascinating and so relevant and timely. Uh, if you're if people aren't thinking about the economy and the impact of an em unemployment, uh, they should be, <laughs> uh, because this is very important. Uh, the next year to eighteen months are probably one of the most important times in the American economy. So uh, your report is right, timely and needed and necessary. And I encourage everyone to go out and read it and uh, learn more about what you're doing with your study and your research. It's been a pleasure to be here, and I'll be happy to be back. All right. This has been another edition of The Edric Show. My guest has been Algernon Austin, the Director for Race and Economic Justice at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Of course, this is the place for intelligent conversation for interesting people. I do want to thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.